Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Not, <clears throat> I'm sorry, nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Well, good morning, church. So I'm going to finish the rest of this chapter. But what I would like for you to do is I want you to close your eyes. And in this chapter, what I specifically want you to do, I want you to imagine yourself as a part of that crowd that Jesus is talking to. And I want you to hear the heart behind the words. I want you to hear the choice of words and, and just let that, just take that in as if you were right there and you were hearing this for the very first time, okay? So not an altar call, but I want you to close your eyes and I want you to take this in. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that is made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men! Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it 
and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of prophets. Thus, you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents! You brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those who were sent to it. How often, how often I would have gathered you, your children, together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You may open your eyes.
Let's pray. Father, I just uh, give myself to you. We give our hearts to you. And I pray, Father God, these words that you have given to me, I pray that you would speak through me. I hide myself in you. And I pray that the words that come forth, that it be of what your heart for us is and looks like to us. Holy Spirit, you are most welcome. Let your words prosper and bring forth everything you desire for our good to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're probably wondering why I got these on here. Well, I'm going to tell you. This, in case you didn't get it from how I read this, this is a hot chapter. This is an impassioned chapter. This is a hard chapter. This is a heavy chapter. As a matter of fact, you can even see as I was reading, well, I, the glove is singed. That's how. Well, you talk about signs and wonders. There you got it. It's singed right there. Okay, I'm fibbing a little bit, but it's to make a point. That this is a hot, intense, heavy, righteous, indignation-filled chapter. And to kind of su to support that, I want to uh, I wanted to make this message the, the the scripture reading here and doing that I wanted to make it as effective and as a part of the message as well as what I'm about to share. Sometimes we here's the scripture reading for today. Here's the message. No, I wanted this to go one from the one into the other because this is just as much about the sermon, so to speak, as what was just read. So. The word woe in this chapter is repeated seven times. He's, so when, when a word is repeated, it's kind of obvious, it's important that he's calling attention to it. But when a word is repeated seven times, I think he's really trying to make a point with an exclamation. So just to kind of give you another illustration of that because there are other places in the scripture as well where a phrase, a word is repeated and it's to make a point, it's to make an emphasis. So in Isaiah 55, for example, when he says, come, come all who are thirsty, come to the table, come who are without money, come, buy and eat. The word come is used there five times. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount which Tom did uh, in chapter 6. He talked about your father, your father, your father. He's making a point about our father. And one of the other repeated phrases in that chapter was, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Well, he's making a point and he's making a connection. And, he's, and it's an important point. So when he uses the word woe here seven times, he's really wanting us for our ears to perk up and take note. Because it is serious. And that word woe can express pity, call attention to, and to call attention to an evil or imply a threat. But I submit to you that in this chapter, he's, he's, he's making all of that known in, his, in the word woe. And then 
that word woe is a, is a word that it was frequently used in the Old Testament by prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. So, in, a, in here again, and I'm going to say this in a, a little bit later, but Jesus, in a, in a sense, well, not a sense, he is. He's taking on a prophetic voice. So when he calls out woe, he's operating much in the same way that the prophets he sent before them, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. So he's following right in the he's following right on what he on the ones he has sent before them. The word hypocrite is repeated six times. So again, this is serious. Hence the oven mitts. It was like, you know, the last time when I did about the Pharisees in Matthew 15, that was a hard chapter too, but now this is like, wow. I feel like I should have had a, one of those protective suits on like uh, when an airplane comes down and it's on fire. That's about how I felt. But this is a serious chapter. And the word hypocrite means pretender. So if he's using this six times, just think about that word. If you're a religious leader in, your de- in their day and you hear that word, they knew what that word meant. Pretender, pretender, one who's play acting. And Jesus is not worried about political correctness here. You know the disciples? I, it, it just, I find a little a grin here that the, in, in Matthew chapter 15, the, the, the disciples actually had the, the nerve to say to Jesus, did you know that what you said offended the, the, Paris, the Pharisees? I thought, really? I thought, really? But Jesus, Jesus doesn't mince words. Pretender. So, you know, when he uses these words, he's, he's, and repeats them, he's making a point. Then for good measure, listen to this. Blind guides. Blind, wow, it's smoldering up here. Blind guides. Blind fools. Blind men. Blind Pharisees. Ouch. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? That sounds reminiscent of John the Baptist. And so when he calls them brood of vipers, he's saying, guys, you have put yourself deliberately in the camp of the enemy. You have put yourself in the kingdom of Satan. That's pretty strong language. So if you come away from today's message thinking, whatever you do, don't get on Jesus' bad side. Or whatever you do, don't make him angry. You're going to miss the whole point of today's message. So I'm taking the gloves off now because I want to read to you a verse that I believe as I was praying about this, there's a lot of things that I could have gone into. There are a multitude of sermons that, that could have been here. Believe me. And as I delved into this, towards the end of this chapter and what he says about the prophets and the altars and the judgment that was coming, it was starting to make my head swim. So he reminded me, you stick and you say just what I want you to say. And so in some ways, this is going to be kind of an, an overarching thing. 
But in verse 37 here of chapter 23, I believe this is key to understanding what's transpiring in this chapter. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, how often, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. This is a revelation of Jesus' heart to the Pharisees. This is a revelation of Jesus' heart to the crowd. And for all that the Pharisees done, he loved them as much as he loved the crowd. And he was fighting for their souls. He was trying to turn their hearts to him. How often would I have gathered your children together? And it finishes by, you would not. So he's taking an action, but what are they doing? They're refusing, they're pulling away. We say, we're not going to do this, we're not going to go there. We're not going to become a part of this. The revelation of Jesus' heart is one of intense, steadfast love that's been hurt. Timing is everything. (laughs) And not a wrath wrongfully misplaced. Just Just think for a moment that if you had a child that in their, in their relationship with you, there, there came a point in time, and, and God forbid this would happen, but they chose and made a decision that I don't want you in my life. I don't want to grow close to you. I don't want to grow in a, in a, in a, a closer relationship with you. And you, you saw that child walk away from you because they bought into some lies or were deceived, but they walked away from you and they put out their arm against you, how would that make you feel as a parent? That's the kind of pain that Jesus is, is revealing here about towards, towards the Pharisees here and towards the audience there. We're going to come back to that verse later on at the close of the message about that the hen and the chicks. But this verse is key, I believe, is a big key to rightfully viewing this chapter. Because if, without this, you could look at that chapter and, wow, boy, I'm glad I'm through that chapter. But there's another thing in this, in this chapter in the, um, that is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expound on this, but that is Jesus in, in going through this chapter here. This is a testimony of Jesus' long-suffering 
and being slow to anger. You know, we, there's different worship songs that we sing, 10,000 Reasons. You're, you're, you're rich in love and slow to anger. So this chapter is a revelation of Jesus' heart, a heart that's, that's had his love frustrated. And the darkness here of the Pharisee's heart, it's being exposed publicly to the crowd. And that's where this chapter starts out. And the idea is that as a parent, I'm, it, this, this reminds me of um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Hero sons, a father's instruction. That you may gain insight and revelation. And Jesus taking the time to, to do what he does and says what he says. And not, not just give a command. But Jesus expounds. And so what he's doing here, he's, he's exposing the darkness because he doesn't want his disciples or the crowd to be taken captive by the false, by the false leadership. And what we see in this chapter, we see the living word here, Jesus Christ, doing exactly what he says about the written word. And that is, he is dividing between soul and spirit. He is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's laying it bare. If you read on, he says, everything is open to him. And he is laying it out there. He's doing exactly what he says he has written in his word. That's what he's demonstrating. That's what he's doing here. So, to this point in time, starting early on, you know, there's multiple threads, there's multiple storylines that are going on. And one thing that I've noticed about the Gospel of Matthew here is all these different storylines, they just don't fade out, these multiple overlays and things. They, they go all the way to the end of the book to, to come to a conclusion. It's not like, well, about a couple chapters go on and this ends, and well, here's another storyline we can pick up and all that kind of and descends. All the storylines in the Gospel of Matthew that are laid out, and there are many, they all continue to the end. But they culminate with the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in his ascending on high and sending forth his disciples to take up what he's called them to, what he's equipped them to be, his ambassadors, his representatives, his vessels, prepared, thoroughly equipped unto every good work, fit for the master's use. This progression that's been building up, it, it, it first starts when at the end of chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus makes a contrast here. It's stated that Jesus taught as one, as w- with authority, and not as the scribes and Pharisees. So we have, again, I'm repeating this from an earlier message, but it's true. There, it, it's like these storylines start to just reveal a little bit, and it's like, wow, okay, where is this going to go? How is this going to play out? And then it starts, it starts to unfold. And with the words that Jesus said versus the words of the Pharisees, it says the crowd was astonished by his teaching. And so long ago, way back then, that word meant they, their minds were, what was in their minds was, was blown out by the revelation of the words of Jesus and what he shared. And that was the blessings of the kingdom. And so the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. So he's, he's, he's expounding. He's, 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 going, he's advancing the kingdom. He's driving out the giants. He's, he's cleansing the leper. He's opening the prison doors. He's setting the captives free. These people have been sitting in darkness for a long, 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 long time. You think about a person that's been sentenced to a life in prison? Well, it's more than that. You're talking about like 400 years between the Old and the New Testament and then some. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, leaders of that day, they should have been an asset. They should have been an ally. They should have been saying like, this is the one that the scriptures have talked about and now he's here. But they didn't. So in Matthew 13, we talk about, a, I'm talking about a progression here that's going on. And it's not a good one. It's been one that has been deteriorating between Jesus and, and his disciples and the crowd and the Pharisees. But this isn't the first time that this has happened in the scriptures. If you go back in the Old Testament to the flood, what was, it that Jesus, what was said about the, the generation, the people at that time before the, the flood? It was like every thought they had was, was of evil, was to commit evil. It was like there was no other option. I'm going to do evil. You know, he, he could have, right with Adam and Eve when they sinned, he could have said, that's it. But he didn't. There was a progression that took place to, to that point in time where he said, uh, yeah, I'm left with no recourse. I've got to do a flood. The overlay, there are two overlays here that I just want to touch on. And, and they are important, but they're found, they're found here in Jeremiah chapter 7 and, Ver, and Jeremiah 26. I don't want to read those entire chapters because this would be like reading War and Peace. But they are important. They are. And so I just kind of want to summarize, first of all, from chapter 7 of Jeremiah. He sends his prophet to go into the temple and proclaim this word to all, all the men of Judah that are, gathered there, that, that are gathered there. Amend your ways 
This is what he's telling him to say. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If we go down to verse 12 of that chapter, he, he, oh, verse 11, has this house, which is called by, nine, by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name first, dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. And then he turns, as if that isn't scary enough, then he turns to Isaiah, I mean, excuse me, Jeremiah, and he says this, as for you, do not pray for this people. What? That scares me. Do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them. And do not intercede with me for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven? And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger? Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? There's more that I could read, but that makes the point. And the fact that, the fact that he says to Jeremiah, do not pray for them, do not intercede. What recourse was he left with? We don't, I'll be honest, I don't know that we hear a, a lot of messages about God having a woodshed or the judgment of God and... and um, but that should be somewhere in our thinking. That should not be the way that we view God. But neither should we tempt God and say, how close can I come to this line without crossing over it? And Jesus, when he warns, when he's talking to the crowd here, he's, he's warning them, stay, stay back. Don't get close to them. They're, what they do is devious. It's deceptive. And it's, it's bondage. It's death. The people that sat in darkness, that sat in the land of death, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they promoted that. Let's be clear. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees were more interested about themselves than the welfare of the people. So Tom, in his message, 
when he spoke on uh, chapter 13 of Matthew, there's, there's a progression that has been taking place. See, I remember your sermon. I'm sorry. He, he, he made some kind of funny remarks there, and I'm not trying to embarrass him. But I'm one that remembers, and I'm saying I do remember because it was good. We are blessed for the messages that the Lord pours into to the service here, that he gives to the leadership here. That is a testimony to the Lord. It's his grace. It's his goodness. And we are privileged to be able to do that for him to open the eyes of our understanding. So this progression, and Tom, Tom in speaking in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus, at the end of that chapter, where prior to that chapter, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and he was going around healing the sick. But at the end of Matthew 13, he is no longer going into the synagogues. What a sad commentary. Jesus goes on the road. And the people follow. And Jesus introduces parables. And as Tom said in his message, this is, this is a two-edged sword. He spoke in his message how for the disciples, this was a window to be able to see into the kingdom of God. But for the others, for the scribes and Pharisees, this was an act of judgment. Jesus himself quotes from Isaiah here, taking on the prophetic voice again. And what is it that they did? They closed their eyes. They stopped up their ears. They chose not to listen. They set themselves up to, to fail and to live in a pit. And it didn't bother them. It did not bother the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. But again, this demonstrates the great lengths that Jesus is going to in being slow to anger, long-suffering, merciful. At any, at any one of these different points, like in the Old Testament with the prophets, with the flood, and here, he could have said, enough is enough. No, he is wrestling with their hearts. He's giving them an opportunity to turn. And with Jesus' words, again, it's significant for us to note that when Jesus speaks to us, when he speaks to my heart, he knows exactly what to say. First of all, to, to, to get our attention, first of all, to see what's transpiring and what he, and what he purposes. But if... if but if we choose not to, if we resist, if we, if we do exactly what the Pharisees did, we are setting ourselves up for the same fate. There was one other overlay that I didn't mention, but I'll just throw it in there real quickly. In Proverbs, Proverbs, there are different chapters where, where it talks about wisdom. Wisdom calling out in the street. Sons of men, come here. Come on, come on. This is for you. I want you to be able to exercise prudence. I want you to receive instruction that you can make good choices. I want you to be able to please my heart. 
In Proverbs 1, he talks about, he, he stretches out, he, he calls out his hand, he, excuse me, he calls out and no one answers. He stretches out his hand and no one regards. Just, just picture that. And then he follows it up by saying, you chose, he says, how long will you scoffers love doing this? And he even makes a promise to them. He says, look, if you turn at my reproof, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour out my spirit to you and I'm going to make known my words to you. I mean, what a promise. The Holy Spirit is a great teacher. And, with, and just think, how much revelation, how much insight, how much life do you think we get, would get without the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? Zero. Nada. Zilch. And what does the Holy Spirit love to do? He's the one who his very name means to want to come alongside. So again, that says something about the heart of God. So in Matthew 13, Jesus starts speaking in parables. And then for the scribes and the Pharisees and those who choose to reject it's an act of judgment. So early, early in Jesus' ministry to the people that were without hope, that sat in darkness, Jesus brings blessings. He, he announces these blessings, this good news, the good news of the kingdom is for you. There is hope. There is life. There is freedom. There is liberty. There is love. And here, in stark contrast, now as, as we're coming down to the, to, to the end of his earthly ministry, now, in stark contrast, he is delivering woes to the Pharisees and to the scribes. And he begins in this chapter by saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seats, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they do not, for they preach, but they do not practice. And then, He speaks these words. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So in that verse, they tie up. I like the way that, that the King James really brings, brings it out because what it's, it's graphic. It says they bind is what it says in the King James. But it, what that really means is to put in chains. So when it says they tie up, the idea of 
they put them in chains with burdens, heavy burdens. When I was, uh, we've taken some trips out to Colorado, and there are times in going to the mountains where I wore a backpack, and that backpack was not light. And given it was Colorado, you know, the air is thinner out there. And boy, I was huffing and puffing in a lot of the mountain climbing that we, we did out there, and I'm, I'm bent over. And the, <clears throat> the point that I am making, though, is, is that it was essential, what was the backpack was heavy. I felt like some kind of a mule. And so what they've been, what they've been fettered to, what they've been chained to, the crowd, the, the people, what the, what the Pharisees have done is they chained them to heavy burdens. So just think about something that weighs on your mind, something that stresses you out, something that robs you of peace. And think about carrying that for a prolonged period of time. That is a burden. The Pharisees were burden givers. That stands in stark contrast to Jesus, the burden taker. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And what does he say? I will give you rest. And the Pharisees, they were more concerned about themselves. They were concerned about in their appearance and how they, what they did to be seen by others. I am super spiritual. See, I've got these, these phylacteries. I've got these things. See my garments? I'm like the NBC peacock here. Guys, take note. Give me praise. But that's what they did. Read it for yourself in there. To be known and to be seen by others. Come on, lay it on. You know, I'm surprised they didn't have more uh, broken arms from patting themselves on the back. They do all, all their deeds to be seen by others. And in that section, at verse 12, he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Stark contrast. Jesus being the servant to all and what he says and what they blatantly thumbed their nose at him and did contrary to. They misrepresent the importance of the altar. And you can read it there, what was read about how they, what they did and how Jesus calls them on it and said the, the altar, the temple, the things that you do, they pervert it. And there's a verse that's not mentioned in this, in the ESV, but it's mentioned in, 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 in um, not in this gospel, but in Luke. He talks about the Pharisees devouring the widow. Devour, devouring. 
That's pretty serious. Devouring their livelihood, devouring their homes. And, and the one thing that is, that, that really, in looking at this, and, and believe me, I'm, I know I'm laying it on hard, I'm laying it on heavy with the Pharisees, but this is what Jesus is saying here. And, and the thing about that, if you give place to lawlessness, he talks about they're full up. They're full up on the inside. And the thing about sin is that it breeds more sin. It's not like, well, I've got this little compartment over here. I'm just going to do this one little thing and everything else will be hokey-dokey and it won't affect that. It doesn't work that way. It's just like a little leaven. What does he say about the leaven? A little leaven, what does it do? It goes through the whole loaf. So that sin, whatever it is, if we regard it, if I regard it, I'm deceiving myself if I say, well, I'm just going to contain it. It's just going to be in this little room in my house and it's going to stay in this little room and I'm going to put a padlock on the door and it's not going to get out. Wrong. In doing that, you've taken the door off the hinges and it's going to spread and contaminate the rest of the house. So, when Jesus goes into the woes here, and as I started out here by talking about their laying heavy burdens and that, what a horrible resume. A while back, Michael McDevitt did a message and he talked about the Pharisees and the scribes and he made a statement there in his sermon and in that message that he spoke, I believe it was Matthew 12, he said the law without the heart becomes very destructive. The law without the heart becomes very destructive. He said that the Pharisees got their identity from the law and not the law giver. And then he contrasted that with, with David who loved the law because he saw he, his eyes were open to see the, the heart, the giver of the law. The law with the heart becomes a great benefit And then in, in Matthew 15, Jesus talks about what defiles a person. And the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they never got it. They never got about the, the, the whole thing about it's the heart, that he was after the heart. And so he makes a remark, Jesus, here in this chapter about, you guys, you strain at a gnat. 
and you swallow a camel. Numerous places in, in the gospel here, Jesus challenges the Pharisees on their handling of the word, and they flunked. How many times Jesus had told them, not just in this gospel, but others, have you not read? Did you not hear? This is what is written. Search the scriptures. They knew what those scriptures said. They were to be handlers of the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 talks about being a careful handler of the word, rightfully dividing the word of truth, not being ashamed. The Pharisees and the scribes disgraced themselves. And so in Matthew, at verse 13 then and going on, Jesus turns from the crowd here and I have to believe while he was addressing the crowd, now he's turning to the Pharisees. And then he goes into what I, what I read at the beginning of this, the beginning of this sermon, the woes. He turns to them and addresses them with those very words that I read earlier, the woes, the that you hypocrites. And what was the purpose of that? It was to turn their hearts back to, to turn their hearts back to them, but they would not. And so what happens? We see in that chapter, he, he's left them no recourse, and now he's brought them to the place where, guys, I'm going to bring judgment. But I want to turn <clears throat> I want to turn to our hearts <clears throat> to the verse that I referenced earlier, verse 37. And I want to read it again, and then I want to just in closing, I want to expound on it. So in the other in the other verse, in the other books, uh, in the gospel, the gospel of John, Jesus wept. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood and under, under her wings, and you would not. So, first of all, how often? I know it's there, but I want to underscore it. How often? That means a lot of times. That says something about how often that I'm ready, I'm there. I don't want us to lose sight of that. Sometimes we can get comfortable almost to a fault with God. But yet his heart is eager. His heart is 
dare I say, more anxious than ours to want to meet with us, to look forward to getting together with us, to, to draw us to himself, to reveal himself, to transform us, to take us from, from faith to faith, and dare I say, our love to grow stronger and deeper with the intent of that we don't keep it in, but it flourishes like a tree to where others see it and we demonstrate that we have a loving God, a loving Father who longs the same way. So I love the imagery here because he uses a hen and chicks. So we've got chickens. I know somebody else has got chickens. <laughs> but the, the idea of the, the hen and chicks, when there is a hen out in an area with their chicks, that hen is, she walks around, she eats, but she's patrolling. She's roaming. She's clucking. She's talking to her chicks. And if something alarms the hen, she calls out and the chicks come. Or if a chick cries out, the hen goes running to the chick. We got chickens. My grandpa had chickens. The aliens have chickens. I've seen enough in my life to know about chickens. And I tell you the truth, that Jesus, when he talks about the hen and chicks, he is deliberate in what he's saying here about the hen. And that hen, when, when that chick is in trouble and that chick starts peeping, that hen runs to that chicken and defends and protects and come, comes again between the assailant and the chick. I've been there. <laughs> I've also ran there away from the chicken. <laughs> she's, she's got claws. She's got feathers and she knows how to use them. <laughs> and we're not even talking about a rooster. We're talking about chicken. But it, it's, it's the idea that when, um, and if there's danger, and they know, they know where that hen is. Believe me, the chicks know where the hen is. And when there's danger, where do they run? Under the wings of the hen. Imagine that. Under the shadow of your wings, I abide. I have found a hiding place. We're not talking about a chicken. Yes, we are talking about a chicken. But just think about the arms of the Lord spreading out in that same way. That's what I referenced earlier in that, that exhortation, that prophetic word, about his arms outstretched. That's the secret place. That's a safe place. That is a place of refuge. That is a fortress. That says something there about the love of God, that says something about the character of God, that says something about the heart of God. And 
would not even begin to think about if that, those, and I've seen them where, where they're all nestled underneath there and their little heads, they kind of stick them out sometimes. Do you think I'm going to try and pull one of those chicks out and pet it? No way! Do you realize what would happen if I tried to grab one of those chicks out from that hen under the wing? Um, ouch! Ouch! So, I want to leave you with this. <clears throat> and that is, in Romans chapter 2, Andrew, I mean, Zadok, in this verse, I, I believe here's a good practical how-to. And this set of verses here. This is Romans 2, verses 3 through 5. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those, practi- those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume, and this is, where I wanna, this is where I'm getting at, what I'm getting at, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So for all these things that the Pharisees did, and here's the key. For us, that when the Lord in his speaking to us, when the Lord reveals about himself or something in our life that he wants to transform, and we're always going to be transformed, we're going to be growing, in, growing up in him. But we, can, we have a choice just like the Pharisees. And so at, when God reveals his goodness to us, his kindness to us, his love to us, we can turn our hearts to that and say, God, what we did this morning, we give you our whole hearts. We lay them on the altar. We're not holding back. That's what he was after. That's what he wants is a whole heart devoted to him, surrendered to him, willingly, in love, because he first loved us. But if we choose the alternative, like the Pharisees, they took those choices and they were like taking money and putting them in a piggy bank. Except this wasn't a savings for good and prosperity. This was a savings for destruction. Oh, here's another opportunity. Tuck away a little wrath for the day of wrath. Oh, here's another opportunity. Some more wrath for the day of wrath. But here's, here, and, and there comes a day when that dam when that bank gets full and it's, it's going to happen. But the idea that when, when the, we recognize, when our eyes are open to seeing the goodness of God and our hearts turn to Him, we don't have to be afraid of the wrath of God. He has appointed us those whose hearts are turned to him. It says, he has appointed us to salvation, not to wrath. Let's pray. You're a good, good father. 
You're great in love. You're great in mercy. You're great in kindness. Lord, I'm just, I'm just reminded of the words of that song about your goodness that says, from the moment that I wake up until the time I lay my head down, I will sing of the goodness of God. And Father, I pray this morning that as you speak into our lives, we don't want to miss one word you say because your words are life and strength and health for us. And Father, as we turn our hearts to you in doing this, we want, we want them to be pl- our hearts to be pliable, moldable in your hands to touch your heart and to find the joy of reaching your heart and to put that smile on your face. But it's you, O oh Lord, that is the glory and the lifter of our heads. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who took all of our sins upon himself and ransomed us from futile ways so that we could have a destiny, so that we could know you, so that we could revel in your presence and, and know you more and more and more. Lord, there's more, there's more, there's always more and we want to go deeper with you. So we, we surrender our hearts to you now and we welcome you, Holy Spirit. To have your way to speak into our lives and to respond and turn our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.